Welcome to the Dead Pixel Society podcast, the photo imaging industry's leading news source. Here's your host, Gary Peugeot. The Dead Pixel Society podcast is brought to you by Media Clip, Photo Finale, and Advertech Printing. Hello again and welcome to the Dead Pixel Society podcast. I'm your host, Gary Peugeot, and today we're joined by Jillian Stein, the CEO of Longtime Canadian Photographic Institution, Henry's, based in Toronto, Canada. Hi, Jillian. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Gary. So the Stein name attached to Henry's is like peanut butter and jelly. What generation of the family are you in relation to this company that was formed in 1909? That is the best description I've ever heard of our family business. Uh, I'm the fourth generation. So it was my great-grandfather that started it. Okay. And, and tell me a little bit about the foundation of the company, for those who aren't familiar with uh, Henry's. Well, so Henry's is the largest specialty imaging retailer in Canada. As you said, we're, we were founded in 1909, so we're 112, 13 years old. I've lost my math at this point. Family owned and operated throughout that entire time. Uh, we started off actually as a jewelry store. That's my great-grandfather was a gemologist and fixed watches. And then through the evolution of time, mm-hmm. got into photography in the late 50s. And again, today we're purely in that digital imaging space. We've got 22 locations coast to coast across Canada, uh, in mm-hmm. addition to Henry's.com and a commercial B2B division. Mm-hmm. And what makes us very unique is the breadth and depth of the product that we have for photographers, videographers, and digital creators, and are exceptionally knowledgeable and passionate employees. So the customer experience that you have in a Henry's store or on henrys.com is unlike, I would say, any other mm-hmm. uh, camera store I've ever been to. That's what makes us very unique. And you are probably, in terms of outlet numbers, the largest chain in North America. Yeah, yeah. There's nobody else who has a number of stores or or the reach, a national reach. There's a lot of sort of smaller regional players and independents, mm-hmm. but nobody that has our scale, which I would say also is something that it makes us, puts us in a unique position. So how would you describe, if I were to walk into a Henry's store, is it more hard goods? Is it more finishing? Is it more enthusiast? Is it more momtographer? Or does that depend on where it's at across the country? I think you're going to get a a fairly similar experience across every location. We want that consistency. There's obviously some of our flagship stores in the bigger cities that might have a a little bit more variety. You still have Mm -hmm. access to all the same product. We really like to say that we serve the the meaty middle. So we're not, we've never really gone after the the low entry, right? So if Mm -hmm. you're, I mean, point and shoot is a little bit of a, doesn't really exist anymore but when it did you know we wouldn't we wouldn't specialize in that very entry level point and shoot but we've also never done sort of really high-end pro or broad we love the enthusiast the amateur the hobbyist the um we do do professionals just Mm -hmm. again not at that broadcast level so it's a nice section of the market that Mm -hmm. that isn't really served Again, is it more hard goods? I mean, I always got the feeling that, that Henry's was really more of a hard goods retailer. I mean, obviously, you had labs, you've got online finishing, but you're the gearhead store. Uh, we are a gearhead store. I'd say we're changing that over time as the market changes. So it, no question, there's a ton of, there's a ton of hardware. Mm-hmm. Accessories are really, really, really important, though, to the business. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about selling you a box because you can buy a box. Mm-hmm. It's about what right. are all the other things you need 
so that your camera, you know, or whichever tool you're using does does what you want it to do so whether that's filters or bags or you know now there's we're doing a lot of audio now because a lot of our customers do um, video and and podcasting actually has become right. something that's really popular and services are important so right. we're actually doing more photo finishing now than we ever have in history which is actually kind of hilarious uh when we look at where the industry has gone and we're building more services so education has been important there's lots of other things that creators need other mm -hmm. than hardware and that's where we try to spend our time so i mean have you gotten into some of the smartphone accessories too because i know there's a ton yeah. of those things like uh which i think a lot of photo retailers they kind of play with but they don't really treat it like a category. It's almost like we're going to throw up some filters. We're going to put some selfie sticks up there and, you know, and really worry about DSLRs and uh, mirrorless. So we are, I would say one of our biggest pushes right now is on content creation. And so that can start with your smartphone. It can mm -hmm. obviously go all the way up and it can include, you know, professional equipment, DSLR, mirrorless, whatever you want. But we think it's really important that we embrace that customer who's just getting into the space. And I think something that's important is that we look at, or at least we're all trying to wrap our heads around this, definitely a big change mm -hmm. for all of us, is that the phone is not less than a camera. Mm -hmm. It's just different. It's a different media. It's a different right. format. Mm -hmm. And we need to accept that and service that. And so that's where we're putting a lot of effort because it's also, I mean, you may stay on your phone, but you also might upgrade. You know, you all, people get sort of to a certain point mm -hmm. where you hit mm -hmm. your limit with the phone. And then what do you do next? Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that we help those customers along mm -hmm. and they're part of our efforts. And there's also action cameras. There's also drones. I mean, really the the portfolio of devices for a content creator are really amazing because they can use all of those. Yeah. They won't just use one. Yeah, and I think something that we embraced a long time ago, this is when we went from analog to digital, I think is very relevant today uh, and was a big part of our success back then, is about being device agnostic or mm -hmm. platform agnostic. So however you want to create, we want mm -hmm. and not get tied up in the specifics of it. So high services help you create this dynasty. When where did that start? Does that kind of go back to the even the jewelry roots? Because you know, when you're buying a piece of jewelry, there's a lot of discussion that happens. Do you think it goes back that far or is this more of a recent thing? You know, I've never thought about it in terms of the jewelry, although it's funny because today we often compare ourselves to a jewelry store. But I think it definitely goes all the way back. I think just something that's always been important to us has just been relationships. And so mm -hmm. I almost think it doesn't really matter what you're selling, that you're building a strong relationship and that's whether that's with the customer or mm -hmm. with the vendor. And I think both are equally important mm -hmm. and that's what helps you survive in the long mm -hmm. run, creating that loyal customer base, uh, mm -hmm. making sure the relationship with the vendors also are strong so you're getting the best allocation and best promotional support and all of those things. So I'd say mm -hmm. that was just something that was always in, whether it was my great-grandfather or my grandfather passed on definitely to, mm. to my father, who is excellent at, at building relationships. Um, mm. And that's been ingrained in the business. It is interesting because when I talk to U.S. dealers, they're all, there's almost like a love-hate relationship with the vendors who 
don't seem to treat the category of specialty retail as vital to their future because they've got several big online players. They've got Best Buy. They've got everyone else. Is it different in Canada because you don't have a B&H up there per se? I mean, obviously B&H ships there. I mean, I mean, you're, you have to watch what they're doing, obviously. But do you think your relationship with Canadian vendors is different than that or just Can- are Canadians just nicer? <laughs> well, of course, Canadians are always nice. That's what we're known for. I would say the Canadian market is definitely different in the sense that specialty has a larger share of the market and, and mm. always has. So there's definitely a difference in how the Canadian shop versus, I mean, I would say the direct comparison we all make it to the U.S., especially because our manufacturers are often serving all of North America. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Canadian market is unique, but then this is also where Henry's position in, in our size is also what helps because in Canada, we're the same size. Uh, we sort of flip back and forth between who's number one and who's number two, but we're the same in terms of dollars sold at Best Buy. So we do have that scale mm-hmm. that allows us to have those those strong relationships. And of course, because we are specialty and we have that scale, we're driving the size of the specialty market in right. the country. But I'd say in general, Canada has a bigger specialty market in, in any category than, it, right. than in other countries that I'm aware of. So in the last year, uh, Henry's has been in the news because there's been a restructuring. You had to close some stores. Can you talk a little bit about what led up to that and what happened and how the Stein family managed to still run the show? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you know, everybody knows what's been happening for the last 18 months around the world. And, and really, what's what's been going on? There's been the, I, this pandemic. If you haven't heard really? about it, it's um, really, really unfortunate in many ways. Um, it's been particularly hard, obviously, on retail. And I think it's important, the context of within Canada is Canada's response to COVID has probably been one of the most restrictive in the world. Mm-hmm. So we have been either in complete lockdown uh, or with significant restrictions to mobility for the better part of 18 months. Right. And obviously that has a big impact on, mm. on the business and, and there's no, no business can flip on a dime from, you know, we're 80% of our sales were coming from, we're coming from bricks and mortar. Right. And so while our e-com was, you know, do, tripling and whatever it was doing, fantastic sales to, to mm. make up for another 80% is, is it's impossible right. for that to happen. So what I think what we did when we looked at it and we sort of realized for the first few weeks, we thought, well, this is, this is temporary, right? We're just going to be closed for a little bit and then things will go back to normal. Right. And I think it, a lot of people went with, you know, yeah. 15 days to slow the spread and, you know, we'll kind of sit home for a couple of weeks and sort through our photos, making maybe make a photo book or something yeah, and watch some spread. movies. And this thing's going to pass over. And clearly, 18 months later, we're up to several variants on the Greek alphabet and things have not gone back to normal quite yet. Within, I'd say, three to four weeks, we could tell that this wasn't going to be short. And mm-hmm. there was not a lot of clarity coming from our government in terms of what sort of support was going to exist from landlords, how they were going to respond. And we, in general, I'm always a believer in, in be proactive. Um, and if you can control the situation, then it, you, it will unfold the way you want it as opposed to waiting and letting something happen to mm-hmm. you. We decided that 
that we needed to move quickly so that we could restructure the business so that we would be able to weather the impact of COVID. And so essentially what we did is uh, it's called providing a notice of intention to make a proposal and, and in the Canadian, that's under the Business Insolvency Act in Canada. And essentially what that just did was that bought ourselves to say we need some space to figure out what we're going to do, how we're going to get through this. So under, so under that time frame, what happened? Did you not have to pay your bills? What does that mean? Yeah, so it's creditor protection. Okay. So there's still certain things that you have to pay. The government makes sure and you, you keep up with payroll and there's certain things you have to do. Pay um, your taxes, I'm sure, is part of that. <laughs> always, always. But it gives you some breathing room right? With, with your partners, right? And with landlords and things like that. So it gave us time. And mm-hmm. within, I mean, not a, we actually did this very fast. So within three months, we actually went through the entire process, restructured the business. Uh, our family was very committed to the business. So a lot right. of people at this time sort of question was, mm-hmm. was is this just a way to get out mm-hmm. of the business? But we felt very strongly that we have an exceptional business, a strong brand, loyal customer base, and that's something that you don't mm-hmm. just walk away from. Mm-hmm. So we were recommitted to the business and we were able to stay in control. And within three months we were out and I'd say, which is exceptionally fast. And not only did we go through all of this in three months, but we did it with the same bank that we mm-hmm. started. So we went through all of this. And by August of that year, we were technically a new company still go under the right yeah tell me a little bit about that because it's you did a a new holding company or something is that what happened or yeah so the company used to be called cranbrook Glen enterprises that so that's always been our operating or sorry our doing business as kind of and we operate as henry's and that company did we put it that company into bankruptcy and what we did as a family um along with the bank that supported us was we essentially purchased the company out of um, mm-hmm. sure out of this process so it's a new company but it still has the same owners and again the same mm-hmm. the same bank but then with a different structure mm-hmm. that allowed us to, to operate more efficiently and really the key is that it, it allowed us to speed up a lot of what we were already planning mm-hmm. on doing a lot of our strategy that we thought mm-hmm. was we were going to have to do over five years we were able to do it sort of in a much quicker time frame. Right. Um, so that's how that went. Usually when that happens, you know, you got your banks and your manufacturers are generally on the hook for the liabilities. How, how did you maintain those relationships? Because obviously they're not doing great during a pandemic either, right? So that must have been a real challenge from a personal standpoint because they have to buy into the new company, right? They have to continue to say, hey, listen, we may have to take a hit here, but we want to continue to work with you yeah so obviously that factored in a lot into the decision and whether we were going to do this and it's a big risk it's a big risk this is where the that hundred years of relationship building really Mm -hmm. comes in handy so we have Mm -hmm. again those really close relationships strong partnerships with the manufacturers and we had lots of discussions and what was important was we're all obviously we're all struggling at that time, because of, of you know the fact that the retailer at this point is holding the inventory, we were the ones at the end of the line. And so we were holding the bag, I would say, I guess, at that mm-hmm. point. And so it was almost a, I guess, a conversation of we're going to share this pain mm-hmm. 
um, to a certain extent. And but the long term is that you will have a healthy company to do business with in the future. Right. And so it's there's going to be some short term pain, and there was for everybody, right? We all right. felt it. But if we do this, then we can still do business next year, and the year after that, and the year after that. If we don't mm. do this, we don't know. And right. then, and that again, with our size and scale, would have had a really big impact on the Canadian digital imaging industry. The market right. itself would have would have changed. Right. And so, you know, they yeah. need they need customers to sell to. Yeah, I mean, one of the challenges you run into with something like that when you have a a leader who who implodes, like you know, we had that in in the U.S. here with Ritz Camera. It's not necessarily guaranteed that that someone's going to step in to fill that void, right? right. And that, you know, the category suffers that because maybe someone's interested in taking up photography as a hobby or exploring things. And then they, then they don't have a local camera store to go right. to that impacts everybody, the vendors, the suppliers, the associates, the, the people who would be benefiting from photography as a, as a yeah. creative outlet. Yeah. Or as a way, as a side hustle, as a gig, you know, then they're buying everything online, which again, that, you know, that's great. And I'm sure, you know, you sell online, everyone does. It's not nothing against it, but there is something valuable about having that in-store experience to create value in the category. Absolutely. The, the industry needs, needs that connection and online is good for certain things, but mm -hmm. it doesn't build, it doesn't build the industry and it doesn't mm -hmm. build the category. Speaking of building things, you took the unusual step of launching a foundation during this. Can you tell us a little bit about the Henry's Foundation? Wasn't that a smooth transition? Very Wasn't smooth. that great? Very smooth. And uh, <laughs> what its objectives are and where that idea came from. So the foundation is something that um, the whole Stein family is behind. Um, and it's actually run, the executive director of it is my sister, Amy Stein. Um, she leads that on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, we launched it at, um, who would have known? Uh, we launched it in March 2020. So <laughs> obviously when the launch date was picked, we didn't quite realize it, but we remained very committed to doing it mm -hmm. a lot, partly because the, the uh, I guess I should step back, the, the Henry's. Uh, the Henry's Foundation is in support of mental health. And so we are working with a, um, a variety of organizations across Canada to support the mental health of Canadians. Mm -hmm. And so given what was going on in the world at the time, we felt that even though it was a strange time to launch a foundation, it was an even more important time mm -hmm. to do it. So that's been running now for, I guess, so 18 months to two years. Mm -hmm. And I really do have to give Amy a ton of credit for um, she's been uh, pushing this really up a hill for the last for the last while to get it going. Mm -hmm. It's something that's really important, as I said, to my whole family. And uh, this is because we have all struggled um, within our family from mental illness. Mm -hmm. so it's something that's very close to our heart. And it's also really important for our employees and for our community. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that we are supporting our employees who no different than any other organization mm -hmm. mental health is really really top of mind for everyone and we think there's a very important connection between mental health and creativity and okay. so that connection there between who our community is mm -hmm. um the tools you know we, we may sell a, 
camera, but really it's a tool to support creativity and expression. Mm -hmm. I think one of the great sort of things uh, that we've started is this campaign called uh, Uncaptured Moments, and it's the hashtag Uncaptured Moments, but it's essentially, you know, share the moments that aren't those perfect moments on social media that everybody shares, right? right? Share the real moments in your life. And that's yeah, the, the highly filtered, the highly doctored, perfect yeah. angle Insta exactly. pictures. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They, I mean, you know, it's interesting you said because there's a lot of discussion about the role of those types of images affecting people's mental health, especially young girls. You mm -hmm. know, there's some. There's some recent revelations that Facebook knows this is going on and keeps it going anyway. So yeah. there, um, so there is sort of a connect connection though between using photography to help with mental health. There's been a lot of charities that have dealt with that. Yeah. In the case of Henry's, is it directly photography, or is it, or is it other creative pursuits like uh, music or anything like that? I guess at this point, I'd say it's it's anything related to imaging or you know, I mean, it's, we connect. We try to connect it with our specific customer base, just because sure, sure, sure. It feels, it feels more natural that way. Mm -hmm. But obviously, in terms of the organizations we support, mm -hmm. they support a, a broad range of you know. So it's not just creativity. That's just sort of where there's a, a bit more of a natural connection for us. But so, what does a foundation do? Great question. <laughs> um, a foundation, or our foundation, I would say, because I think there's variations. Sure. Uh, that's fundraising. So we we do fundraising both in our store and um, sort of just out in the in the broader community, sure. and then we pass those funds on to our partners. So mm -hmm. in Canada, we work with CAMH, uh, we work with Help Phone, uh, Jack.org, and a number of other um, mm -hmm. regional organizations. Um, sure. But then we also are so we are working on developing some of our own programs that okay. we. Can so this is where Uncaptured Moment comes in, mm -hmm. other types of, of education, photo walks, things like that that we can start to do that, sure. again, just create opportunities for discussion, for community building around that space. Okay. You've got a personal connection to the Henry's mission, and you, you do want to come and talk about that. So can you share a little bit about your personal challenges regarding mental health? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Photo retailers, energize your sales with ShareMe Chat, the proven texting platform. Using chat to text on your website keeps your customers connected and buying. See us at Pro and IPI to find out why dealers using ShareMe Chat close more sales without adding staff. Find out more at shareme.chat. So I have bipolar disorder, and that's uh, something that up until last week has been something that I've kept very, I wouldn't say secretive, but has been just very personal mm -hmm. um, and something that I would only share with closest friends and family and mm -hmm. really on, only on an as-needed basis. Right. And this is actually ties to why we started the foundation was we had a, um, a close um, colleague, family friend, whose wife uh, died by suicide. And this was about three years ago. And I just remember sitting at the funeral and the the family, nobody at the funeral talked about how 
this individual path through it. Mm-hmm. And you could just see the the struggle in, you know, there was kids and, and they, all I could think of is how are they going to recover from this if they can't right. talk about it? And could have this have been avoided if the family could have been more open about it? Right. And I remember sitting with my family afterwards and I just felt, and I remember saying that, you know, if we don't talk about this, if I don't talk about it, I'm perpetuating the stigma. And that was sort of the moment for me where I said, I need to start telling people. And I, as a CEO of a, you know, a fairly, you know, decent sized organization and and we've got a, you know, a well-known brand and I've got the platform where I can Mm -hmm. do that. And so for me, it was to be able to say, yes, I have bipolar disorder. I struggle with mental illness, but I also live a very uh, fulfilling life. So I'm successful. I'm a mother. I've got two beautiful children and I'm not going to you know, sugarcoat it and say that every day is fabulous, but it isn't for anybody. Right. But you can, if you get the support and if you talk about it, and I was lucky because I had a very supportive family and we talked mm-hmm. about it when, when I was young. And so as soon as I had any sort of symptoms, we were able to address it. And so I think that's such an important lesson. And I want to be able to share that with people um, that, that if you get the help you need, you can live a a wonderful life. That's, that's the question I was going to ask. How, when would, when were you diagnosed with, with bipolar disorder? I was around 18, 19 years old when I was diagnosed. Which is a rough time for everybody, right? I mean, you're going through a lot and I mean, because your family was sensitive to it, do you think you had a better experience than others because they didn't just write it off as, oh, she's just going through her crazy teenage phase? That's exactly it. So there was no question. There was a point where, you know, is this just me being a teenager? And, but I then had, I had a very, a very jarring experience where I was in the uh, airport in Montreal and I was convinced that I was in Arizona and I was arguing with the staff at the airport because they wouldn't give me the bus schedule from Phoenix to Tucson and I couldn't understand why and it was it was this mm. this clearly bigger than just this was not just a teenage high and low like yeah you were this, just this confused was, you you had a real and that was the moment and I remember so I was on my own I was living in Montreal at the time with my first year of university and I I called my mom and I said I need help and she was on the plane the next day and um and that's how it started but my family was very sensitive to it so there was always this you know undertone if something wasn't right Mm -hmm. they would they would dig in Mm -hmm. then after graduation did you start immediately in the family business or did you do something else and then come into the business? Yeah, no, I, I actually never thought I was going to work in the family business. Sort of I talked to a lot of family people who say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to hawk cameras for a living. Oh my goodness. Well, growing up in it, it was, it was, I watched my dad work exceptionally hard and not mm-hmm. that I have a, a, a fear of hard work, but working in retail is really hard. Mm-hmm. And at that time, you know, he worked seven days, sorry, six days a week. And the only reason why it wasn't seven was because stores had to be closed on Sunday. Right. So that was the only saving grace that we had. So he worked really hard and, and I, it just wasn't, it wasn't appealing. So I had no intention of joining. I went and did a, a had a totally different career path. I worked in international development and 
But one of the things that I sort of learned after I had built my own career was that I can really get behind anything as long as I'm passionate about it. Mm -hmm. And so then that connection sort of to the business that I, you know, I say I lead orange, right? And so the connection that I had to the business was was just felt that that was, it was calling me back. And yeah. I had had enough experience outside that I felt, which was not in retail, that I actually felt was very relevant and could mm -hmm. really help and add value to the business. So I chose to come back, but that wasn't, that was in 2009. You know, it's interesting because that's the advice I always hear people say is if you're come if you're, if you're in the family business, go do something else and then decide if you want to come back. Just don't expect to have it handed to you on a plate that because you're the son or the daughter of the family that owns a business, you're automatically going to be given the, the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. And Clara, that's what happened in your case. I mean, you, you're obviously very intelligent and you're capable and you could probably do anything. You could probably be prime minister, but you chose oh, to well, run a camera store. I, well, now that you put that out there. <laughs> so I just find that interesting that you came back. Now, do you have any brothers or sisters? You have a sister. Do you have any other one? And was there anyone, anyone else involved directly in the business or were you just like, Jillian, she's a CEO in the making? No, uh, sorry. There's nobody else that, there's nobody else that's in the business. I guess I just, as I was working in the business, I started to see mm -hmm. opportunities and really started to build a vision of what I thought the business could do. And I actually didn't think that it was, it should be me. I just thought that the, the business should do and whoever leads the business, right. this is where they should take it. Right. And then sort of through that process, eventually we sort of got to a point where it's like, well, this is the vision. So right. maybe you should do it. When you came back, where did you start? Did you like work the counter or were you is just in the corporate headquarters or where did that, where did you come back? What, where, at what level did you come back at? Well, so I just, I mean, I have worked, I've worked the cash, I've worked the floor. I've done all oh, sure, of those sure. things as I've grown up. I wouldn't ever call myself a salesperson. Like I'm, right. I, and I, I, sometimes I get corrected on that because technically I, I, I do sales, but I'm, I wouldn't be good on the floor. Like I, right. that's not my strength. So when I came back, I had had a lot of experience um, as a project manager. Mm -hmm. And so what I actually came back and did was project management, which is actually not a very common thing that you would have in a retail business. Right. It's probably becoming more common now with all the activities and things they're getting yeah. into. But at the time, 2009, that was relatively new. Yeah. And so what I came in and said I'd like to do is I'd like to take, a, I guess, a more strategic look at some of the things that we do, the activities. Mm -hmm. Are these... How are they being run? Are they efficient? Are they the right activities? Are they adding value? And really understand them across across the business as opposed to traditionally everything operated in silos, as I said. Right. Any traditional retailer, that's how you work. So this was me. And so that gave me a really great vantage point to mm -hmm. see how the business was working mm -hmm. and where there were those opportunities. So it was a it was a unique role. And then that led to me being then much more involved in strategy again. And then that was, then became a much more natural progression to, to see. And through this entire period, you're in treatment. I mean, you're, you're, you're being, you've had, you're, you've had to deal with your mental illness. Yeah. And that's where I say that's, that's my life, but everybody has something that they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And I would say that, you know, I've, I put a lot of effort into managing my mental health so mm -hmm. that 
I'm proactive about it so right. that it's not something that I'm struggling with sort of on a daily basis. Right. I'm, I'm very attuned and will always make sure that at the slightest sort of change in mood that I'm, I'm on top of it mm-hmm. so that I, I don't think I've felt, obviously when I was younger and this was new, but as I've gotten older, I, I don't mm-hmm. feel like it's something that, that hinders me throughout. It's always back behind your, it's always back there though, right? Of course. But so are other things, right? Mm-hmm. As we move through 2022, uh, what do you see as the near-term challenges for Henry's going forward? Well, I mean, we're all, I'm sure, no matter where you are listening in the world, in the same boat right now. I shouldn't use the term boat. Um, but supply chain is, mm-hmm. is, is the biggest hurdle. And, right. you know, we're coming out, it's sort of, you know, actually, I shouldn't say, I don't know where we'll, by the time we're listening to this, where we'll have landed on, on the newest variant for COVID. But in general, the world has felt like it's been opening up, but mm-hmm. yet at the same time, we then have this supply chain challenge. And so that's right. been particularly hard, I'd say, on twofold. One is customers are ready to buy. So for the first time in a long time, we have this right. sort of nice increase in demand, uh, but we don't have we don't have product to sell them. Right. Um, so that's hard. But then the other part I would add to that that makes it sort of doubles it is that I, I feel then there's a real lack of voice from the industry. So our manufacturers aren't, they're not advertising, they're not promoting. Mm-hmm. So the industry as a whole is just very quiet. Mm-hmm. And so I think that anybody who isn't that sort of hardcore enthusiast or professional, easier to forget right. that this category exists and so especially you know we're talking right now just up leading up to the holidays and mm-hmm. so you know everybody's fighting for share of wallet but it's really hard to fight for that share of wallet if there isn't a large voice behind you and i that's really really does have to come from the manufacturers mm-hmm. so i think that's so that's something and we're going to be feeling that for a long time but um, I, I mean to put on their hat they're saying, why would I promote the new Nikon Z9 if I can't even make them? A hundred percent. I can't disagree, right? I understand it, but there's also a short-term view here. And I think the fear of what, what happens when you do that and you pull back is when mm-hmm. you then are ready to sell something and your supply you know, right. comes in mm-hmm. and you've got the next greatest camera, mm-hmm. is that market still there? Are they listening? And so that's that is always a concern. And we have that mm-hmm. debate all the time over like there's a long term view here. And especially with our category has been under pressure for so long that taking your foot off the gas has a real has a real long term impact. Yeah, that's always one of the things I always talk to people about when it turns to promotion, because they seem to like manufacturers seem to build around product releases, right? And that's and whereas a retailer or a service provider, yeah, there there's seasonal times, obviously, right? Everyone's doing a lot of promotional now, but you also have to keep the top of mind presence yeah. in front of the consumer all the time. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that there's a big disconnect between manufacturers who just assume everyone knows their brand and they have to push product, and a retailer or a service provider who realizes I'm competing against all these other categories. Yeah. I have to be the one they think of when they're ready to buy. Yep. <laughs> that is that is true. That is true. <laughs> so I would say then on that, as opposed to necessarily a challenge, I'd say an opportunity for us and what we're really working on is how do we provide more services 
to our community that isn't necessarily dependent on hardware. And right. so we're actually moving, we've got a ventures division. And mm-hmm. so we're moving into sort of digital platform where we can service creators no matter where you are in the world. And what are the tools and services that you might need? And it can be anything. Mm-hmm. But it's again, going back to that hardware agnostic. Mm-hmm. What else do you, how else can we serve you? And, and this idea of we're really trying to build, you know, this, this camera club and how do we become the biggest camera club right. in the world as opposed to just a retailer that builds a box on behalf of somebody else. So everyone knows where to find information about Henry's because it's henrys.com. Where would someone go to find information about the foundation? Henrysfoundation.com. Well, you kept that easy. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Jillian, for your time and uh, best wishes on your the restructuring of the company and the future growth and the foundation and a great 2022. Thank you, Gary. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Dead Pixel Society podcast. Read more great stories and sign up for the newsletter at www.thedeadpixelssociety.com.